Now, our never-ending pop culture road trip takes us from New York to a small paper company in Scranton, Pennsylvania. We're like friends. I am Chandler and Joey, and Dwight is Kramer. The Pop Six takes a look at one of the most celebrated comedies of the century, The Office. Put my stuff in Jello again. I like waking up to the smell of bacon. Sue me. Boy, have you lost your mind? Cause I'll help you find it. Ryan started the fire. I'm in love with you. What? What you want? A cookie? You always left me satisfied and smiling. It's even worse this time around, folks, meaning after Michael Scott. That's what we've got. We've got BC and AMS. If you want to go there, welcome back. Pop 6, The Office, episode, what is this, 4 now that we are on? And we're going to get through 5 before we get through this thing. We spent so much time talking about Season 5 last week. And we loved it so much. And honestly, gentlemen, David Reed with me, Red Bryan, of course, of Titans Radio with me, and Jeff Schwartz, who played in the NFL for eight years. And we're not going to talk about football at all. We're going to talk about his favorite show, The Office, and his wife's favorite show. <laughs> we'll joke about that. But we should have spent more time talking about season five, gentlemen, because I miss season five so much now that we've gotten past Michael Scott and into season eight, but we're going to spend the vast majority of this episode on season seven, which did have a lot of really good content. We had to say goodbye to Michael Scott. So they had to do some fan service on the way out the door for Steve Carell. And what we said last week, they announced a couple of months before the season finale of six, that seven would be there. And Steve Carell announced, I'm done. This is it for me. I've taken this character as long as I can. I want to get into movies. I want to do some other things. Uh, you know, family, all of that. So we knew going into this season that Michael was going to be saying goodbye at some point before it ended. And ironically enough, or maybe not ironically, maybe it was intentional by Greg Daniels and crew. They let him leave before the end of the season, just like he left a day early from Dunder Mifflin so that he didn't have that. He basically set up a goodbye party that would be perfect for them to have without him. And he left, you know, three, four episodes before the end of the season. But because Jeff just joins us, Jeff, season five is pretty great. Uh, Season three, season two, there are some really, really good stuff earlier that you haven't been a part of. But just overall, since you're on here, what is it about The Office that, that that made you reach out to me and say, hey, I want to be on one of these? I just think the show is fabulous, and it, it covers everything that an office would, I think, and I look, I've never been in an office, you know, I mean, I've been in a locker room, obviously, but yes. not like in an office. I just think that the characters, you, you root, you end up rooting for most of the characters, right? which I think is important, right? Like, you feel a connection towards the characters, which is a huge part of wanting to watch a TV show. You root for them to succeed. Obviously, you've talked about this. I've listened to the episodes, you know, the, the switching over of Steve Carell's character from being, you know, Michael Scott from being... Uh, kind of a, a, a dirt bag maybe ish yeah. boss to, to softening him up. And then season three, you add in, and that's my favorite season. You add in, you know, Ed Helms to play Andy and, and Rashida Jones. And it just, it, I, I think adding Ed Helms took the whole thing to a, to another level. I just think the, the, the characters are so, they're so easy to root for. Um, and just the, and then to me, the awkwardness of, yeah. of what happens in the show like you have a visceral reaction yourself. You're like, oh, and I've seen it so many times that I don't really have anymore. But when you first watch it or watch it a second time or third, I've watched them, I don't know, seven, eight times through. Like you just reactions, you're like, oh, like that. You're like, oh, no, like it just, it feels, so you get, you get emotional when you're watching it. So 
And it's also funny, of course, but that's the reasons why I've loved it. I've, like I said, I've watched every episode probably every season, I don't know, eight times through, maybe ten <laughs> times through. I've watched a lot of it. I just kind of have it on sometimes in my office when I'm working just to have some background noise. Yeah, it's definitely a blue show, which is a concept that I've brought, brought up on this show before. Tell me your thoughts since we talked about it last week. Scott's Tots. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. I, I I think my favorite part of that whole episode though was Michael Scott uh, not Michael Scott was Stanley just laughing the whole time. Oh yeah, like, the hearty laugh was just unbelievable. And again, the awkwardness of like you're waiting for him to have to break this to these kids who are just so excited to see him. Right, they're singing, they're pumped, and then just the the kicker at the end is he writes those checks for the for the um, for thousand dollars and then says to, like wait to cash them for to a certain day. It just it, it just. It's it's everything he wants to be, right? Like he wants to be charitable. He wants to be loved. He wants to help everybody, but he just he doesn't have the means to do it. So he does it anyways without actually being able to do it, right? Because he thought at the time he'd be a millionaire because he always right. thinks he's going to make money and live this life that he never – well, he ends up living a life that he wants at the, by the end of the show. But uh, just, the laugh by Stanley is unbelievable. Yeah, he's got a couple of good laughs. He also laughs about the billboards that get put up for Andy yes, and Dwight yes. in, early on in Season 8. So as we move into Season 7, what's your overview, guys? Um, I guess we'll start with you, Rhett, and then we can we can move around. But Season 7, you know what surprised me? There wasn't as much Michael and Holly as I had remembered when I watched it originally. There was some, but I wish we kind of would have gotten a little bit more. We got just enough to know they were perfect for each other. And outside of that, there was still there were some throwaway episodes early in this season, I thought. Well, and to your point, uh, Holly doesn't actually come back into the picture until Classy Christmas, which is uh, episode 11 right. of season 7. So that's the back half. That would be from probably after, right after the Super Bowl uh, on into sweeps of that year. Um, so, yeah, it is surprising that she isn't in there more prominently than what she is, but they make... They make it count when they need to in those later episodes in season seven. So, yeah, so watching this for the first time, of course, I'll watch it with my wife who'd watch it many times through. So, but I didn't know, I, she didn't tell me anything that was going to happen in any of the episodes. Uh, so I had no idea that Michael Scott was going to end up leaving. So when he left, I thought, okay, is he coming back? Like, <laughs> is the next episode, like when, when is going to be the return of Michael Scott? not knowing that there was not going to be a return from Michael Scott for a very, very long time. And a couple episodes into this season, when I realized that, I was like, oh, so this is like a different show now. I was uh, interested to see where it would go, but still saddened because the show that I had learned to love and come to love in those first seasons, I knew now was gone. It was yeah. going to be a completely different show moving forward. Yeah, and not as good a show, quite frankly. So let's go through some of these episodes. It begins with nepotism when Luke comes in. And Luke's just Curly dreadful. headed nephew. Yeah, he, he's absolutely <laughs> dreadful. Jeff, oh. would you have drank the decaf that he tried to give Daryl in this episode when he went out to get coffee for everybody? This is the worst employee <laughs> in a really bad office. Uh, no, I wouldn't have. Um, but, you know, I think that... I think to to relate to everyone else like this this happens in every office right I mean you have someone in your life or you work for someone who has a an employee who is family member who just is awful at their job and they just continue to to get by and um it uh it was again it's I think it's so relatable it's definitely relatable who in the uh Giants locker room was the Luke 
Um, just go ahead and get you to call well, somebody yeah. out. Right? I don't know about that. I'll just say, I mean, you know, that that organization has all family members in it, right? I mean, John Mara owns the team. His brother is like the head of player personnel on the college side, I believe. And, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, Steve Tisch has family members throughout the, the building as well. So it's I, I understand that. Yes. Hopefully no, none of them were as bad as Luke. We also find out that Aaron, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and say this now. Ellie Kemper, I really like her, and I really love her in The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which is a great show on Netflix that finally has come to a close but is well worth uh, the time spent watching. This Aaron character, as I've gone back and watched it, I'm really disliking this character. (laughs) Like, tremendously. I want to backtrack off of Phyllis. I was wrong about that. Phyllis is not unlikable. As I've gone back and watched some of these later episodes, she's okay. It's it. I think I may have overreacted a bit. I'm not overreacting to Aaron though. Aaron annoys the crap out of me. Am I alone here? Uh, yeah. Really? Probably. Yeah. Really? I I didn't. I found her highly entertaining. I'm not saying she wasn't necessarily entertaining, but she acts like a, either she's a 12 year old or she doesn't understand anything to the extent of she's going to hurt Gabe, not just leave Gabe. She's going to do it that way, and the way that she kind of handles herself around Andy, and the fact that she hates Holly for some unknown yeah. reason that makes no sense. Like, it felt like a really forced character so to me, not a natural character. You're holding her, hurting Gabe against her. That's like that's like the worst <laughs> argument not to like her. Dave, I'm, David, I'm with you. Um, there's a level of naivety to her yes. that is entertaining in this. Jeff, I think you would agree too. Yeah, and I think I think Jason, you might not like her because the, the, she's not a complex character, and that mm-hmm. that might be the reason why. There's, I mean, there's nothing complex about it to what you guys said. A little immature, right? Naive about life, kind of giggling through, laughing through hard parts of of her life, and just there's not much depth to her character, and that's probably why Jason. You don't like her as much. It just feels like it's unnatural. It feels like it's forced. That's the only thing. It just it doesn't feel like that's how people behave. A lot of the rest of the people oh. I've seen on this show, I. I can really relate to either knowing someone like that or understanding how someone like that can exist. This character, to me, felt like it should have been drawn in crayon as opposed to taking a photograph with a you know, Kodak 35 disposable camera like she does where she just throws it into the garbage and talks about, you know, it's fun to take photos with this, even though you never but you get never to see the pictures. <laughs> I don't think she knew, though. I mean, she Of course like, she didn't know. But, I mean, I, 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 that's kind of funny because, like, just... It, it kind of like I know this is now what 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 year was season seven? It was uh, seven was two thousand ten. Yeah, I mean like by that time, do we have camera? Do we have cameras on our phone by then? Oh, I, I just think that yes, that Jeff. She, she didn't. I don't. Did we? I don't know. Jeff, we had flip phones that had cameras on them, and like five years no, before that, but no one used them though. Really, I don't remember using a, my camera ever. My flip phone. Uh, okay. Um But what, what whatever the point. But my my point is like I just she's young. I don't know if she really knew. What even that it was? I mean, I don't know. There's kids now that don't know anything. I, well, yeah, see, I, know I just think Jason has lived a charmed life and never had to deal with someone like that. I can think back to my day stuck in a cubicle. There were two sisters. There were twin sisters that worked in the office that were pretty much exactly like that. They were that dumb. Like I, I thought I was taking them to raise when I was <laughs> sent off to work with them. Yes. Toby counseling Michael Scott. Playing Connect Four with him, getting him to talk, <laughs> using all this skill. Just the idea of the best is watching Steve Carell just stare down Paul Lieberstein. Like whenever that happens, especially long term, when he just sits there, even when you get to the Goodbye Michael episode <laughs> and Toby's like talking to his brother 
about reaching out to him, and Michael just like instead of saying something mean, he just says okay, and he gets up and walks away. That's the nicest thing you can ever say to Toby Flindersey. The the thing too is that that epiphany that Michael has when he realizes what's going on. He's like, "You sob, <laughs> you you dirty sob, you got me into this." Well, oh. the, and the thing too about that, this is the first time we realize that Toby actually has skills and qualification and education to be the head of HR. Right. Up to that point, we really never saw him do anything in, that in depth. Right. But you had to assume that he had it. There was a reason why he had it. It's just like Oscar is an accountant. Of course, you find out, I think increasingly as the show goes on, yeah, but so is you Kevin. find out how much <laughs> you, well, yeah, I guess that's true. Fair, fair point. Fair point. And Pam becomes an office administrator yeah. or tries to become the office administrator yes. at this point as well. Um, the thing about the thing about uh, about Toby's character is my wife's in a position now where she has to deal with HR a lot. So I appreciate Michael and Toby's relationship a lot more because of what my wife has to kind of tells me what happens at her work between her and HR. I mean, it it, it can be the relationship can be exactly like it was in the show. So I I and I this is the one time in the entire show Toby kind of got Michael. He got him to do what he wanted against his will. And it was the one victory he really had throughout the entire show of getting kind of Michael to let, allow him to do his actual job. Yeah, he got two victories, I think, through the show. He got that one where he, he actually looks at the camera at one point and he's like, it's working. <laughs> <laughs> there's that and there's when he gets the robe from oh, yes. Pam. Yes. That's like a small Christmas victory party. for Toby yes. because Michael takes it from him. <laughs> and then Pam ends up giving it back to him at the end. Andy, you, you talked about Ed Helms, Jeff, and I, and I agree with you. I think Ed Helms definitely enhanced this cast a lot, especially as the Andy character grew and changed a little bit from what it was originally. And that's true for basically everybody on this show, but Andy is still the performer. He's still the guy that's going to have a garden party to try and impress his parents oh, in season eight. But here, incredible. he's trying to impress everybody by being in a local production of Sweeney Todd, not realizing that Michael Scott has auditioned by doing an entire episode of Law & Order, which you see at the very end. And so you get some jealousy and all of this kind of stuff. But Andy, the performer, whether or not he's got a guitar in his hand or whether or not he's Sweeney Todd, uh, pretty good that Ed Helms is able to sort of play this over-the-top role the way he does. At least I would suggest. And then Michael's jealousy is still there. And as Holly will show up later, you start to see the you know the final mode of Michael Scott. But even right before he leaves, yeah. you still see some of Michael. Like There's still some of that person that desperately wants to be liked to an extent where he'll still step on people. If he has to, in that case, like the way he goes after the guy who becomes Sweeney Todd, yes, in his place, <laughs> in that episode as well. I would have liked to have seen Steve Carell try that character on camera just for a couple of seconds, because that I think would have been really, really good. And finally, herpes, <laughs> or should we say the cold sore? Yes, uh, the cold sore, and I he mean, calls every person, girlfriend, partner, whatever. Isn't that also the episode where Dwight asks Toby where certain lady parts are? Was that that episode? <laughs> that was was oh okay, that was that episode. I'm thinking that what's the episode? It might not be the season when him and Angela have a talk to Toby about about how how gay couples have sex. Was that in this season? 
I don't think so. I think that's a little bit later on, but that's another. That's definitely another classic. Um, okay. The herpes thing's funny to me because it's just like, good lord, if that was an STD, like no one would ever be able to have sex because so many kids get it. Yes. You know, when they're ten years old and there's nothing you could do about it once the virus is in there, it just kind of lays dormant, and at times it comes back out. It's not necessarily a crank problem, like it is. Like it is something else, but of course Michael sitting there calling Jan, calling Donna, calling everybody <laughs> to tell them this story. Carol. Yeah, Carol, his actual wife. Uh, oh, Helene, Helene gets yeah. that call as well. <laughs> oh, it's so it's so awkward. Oh, it's I mean, really like, awkward. I, I think because it makes you think. Like, like what if like, what if it was one of us, right? Like, what if one of us had that happen to us? Would we call our exes? I mean, he has not that many, I would think, compared to maybe someone of his age. Mostly, but like, do you just like, 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 what do you do? Do you just let it go? Do you call everybody? I mean, this is why I think the show makes you think about how you would do things in your life if you're in this situation. It's funny you mentioned that, Jeff, because I thought the same exact thing, and I thought, wow, I would have to make a lot less phone calls than Michael Scott made <laughs> if this was actually me. What is, what kind of life have I lived? Andy Bernard uh, has a sex ed class just to determine whether or not Aaron and Gabe are doing it. <laughs> no, Gabe is such a creepy character. Nah, oh, Zach just... Woods is a total like they that episode when he gives advice when Michael right before Michael's leaving and he tells Gabe to put on some cover up over his Adam's apple so he looks less <laughs> like a transvestite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. Gabe is Gabe is an awful character. Zach Woods plays awkward better than anybody. Oh, it's so good. He does it on Silicon, he did it on uh, Playing yes. House, he does it on The Office. He is he is a master of just making you uncomfortable he looks like, like somebody had already sucked out all the blood <laughs> out of me looks like a vampire victim that's somehow still alive a pale ichabod crane <laughs> <laughs> not sweeney todd he could it could have been the legend of sleepy hollow yes yes in that case uh and- timothy oliphant shows up oh yes and do we know explain this to me did danny actually leave the company or is he just now on the road in place of todd packer because we see Timothy Oliphant for a couple of episodes playing um, playing Danny, and then he shows up in the office. They hire him. Michael Scott hires him because he's really good and he's stealing clients. He's good at his job, but then he leaves. Like you don't see him again. And I'm just curious whether or not he stayed with the company and went on the road, or if I missed it and he actually left. I believe he was a traveling salesman. That's, yeah, and yeah, then he replaced so Todd Packer. Yeah, yeah. somebody because of the to history with Todd Jim Packer. and Pam and how that becomes irritating because they have to know why. He never called Pam back. When I was in the fourth grade, we had an artist in residence at my uh, elementary school. His name was Timothy Oliphant. So every time Are you, you mention, yes, every time you mention that, that's who I picture in my wow. head. Didn't look anything like what this you, guy. What'd you think of the Danny character, Jeff? I, I thought it was okay. I thought the 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 whole undercover thing, they kind of how they botched that whole thing up was was pretty funny. But I think I, th- I think like you said to start this episode, like these. Some of these early ones didn't really like Andy's play. Like it's just, it was okay, right? They're just kind of getting toward the yeah. very end of the season. Like it was just some of these were just like okay. But you mentioned Todd Packer. I I normally like those type of characters in movies. I, I thought hate that I character. did not like his character at all Me. in the show. Like, <laughs> I think I just, you were supposed to hate him. I, yeah, but even even characters you're supposed to hate in shows you sometimes like at some point. And there was nothing where I thought it was like ever funny or. I, I mean, he's, you're supposed to hate him, but I just didn't, I still didn't oh, like him. Oh, I agree, him. I agree. Those are episodes I always skip myself. He's just not, I don't know, it's just too much for me. There's nothing redeemable about him, and now I'm I'm having a hard time eating at Hardee's now that he's doing Hardee's. <laughs> <laughs> he's That's, a big Chiefs fan, so I kind of I kind of like him for that. What is his real name? 
I keep getting him mixed it's up da- with John C. O'Reilly. It's David Koechner. That's yeah, how they David Koechner. <laughs> I don't know. Just two characters. Because they're still hanging guys. out with Will Ferrell oh, all the okay. time. I just for some reason I get their names mixed up. It's a good thing I host a pop culture podcast. I can't <laughs> tell the difference between those two guys. Uh, costume contest. Gabe is as we as mentioned. Lady Gaga. He's Lady Gaga. And boy, yeah, that's so, on brand. That's on Jim, point. <laughs> and Jim and Pam have to know why why Danny never called Pam back. After oh, a couple yeah, of rights. And yeah. it was so awkward. And that's, we talked to earlier in this podcast in these other earlier episodes about how they, you learn to start hating the characters. And Jim and Pam, after they have now married and they're going to have kids, they, they are become super irritating. Why is it so important for them to know why Danny never called her back? Who cares? Yeah, it's really weird. It would not have been something that I would have wanted to be Jim in that situation in real life, just that she would care that much about why it happened. And I like that, uh, you know, I like that Danny's just like, all she did was talk about you. And then Pam comes back in and says, no, I would have remembered if I talked about yeah, Jim. That wasn't, yeah, right. she, she had to know. What was the actual reason in the end? Because she was dorky. That's right. But now here, here's, here's the line. And she finds that out, yeah. too. Here's the line of the whole episode, though. They have the costume con- uh, contest, and Pam has the Greater Scranton Area co- coupon book yeah, worth $15, over $40,000 yeah, of savings. Yeah, yes. yeah, exactly. And so, <laughs> so Oscar is so being Oscar, and he's dressed like he fell out of Studio 54, and then he changes yeah. costumes to the rational consumer, ends up winning the contest, and... <laughs> Creed Bratton says, best Edward James almost costume <laughs> ever. Yeah. That's the line of the episode. That's, that's actually one of the better lines in this show. Yes. Because it's so racist. <laughs> like on so many but wonderful it's so, levels. It's so applicable, too. I've thought about this many times. Like, this show could never, the office, in my opinion, could never happen nowadays. Like, there's yeah. too much, there's too much um, of just not even controversial stuff, but just things that. You can't talk about, on, in my opinion, on network TV anymore. People would freak out if half the stuff was discussed. Yeah, nobody has a sense of humor anymore to Correct. understand that comedy doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's not, not something to lose your mind over. Right? Exactly. It's that's not. the whole. Yeah. No, that's totally that's what right. Makes it funny. I mean, that's why Ricky Gervais. That's why The Office was successful and original. And that's why Ricky Gervais was doing what he was doing at the Golden Globes. That's all he knows. That's all he knows to do is to be awkward and make you uncomfortable. And they did a good job, I thought, the same way that, you know, Veep does now and South Park does of mocking everything. Like, and if you mock everything, then you can't be offended by anything because everybody gets it as opposed to just one side. Then it's time for CC to get christened. <laughs> Michael invites the entire office to a christening. And then there's Michael and Andy jumping on a bus to go to Mexico with a youth group. <laughs> <laughs> right up until they realize what that actually means and then have to beg their way off that bus. Uh, you knew Michael was never going to do this. Of course so not. I was, was wondering what it was going to be. I mean, even going back to the episode when he went camping in the woods um, for like a survivor man, and he, he made it like barely half a day before Dwight had to save him from eating a poisonous mushroom. I was just, looking, I was just waiting to see how he would get his way off of this bus. Yeah, and they both were going to get off because Andy only got on to impress Aaron for the 900th time, you know? So yeah. that the same reason that he had the sex ed, same reason he did so many of the things that he did was Aaron-related. Then they go to Gabe's house in the next episode for the Glee viewing party. Here's one where you realize, oh, yeah, that was a show that was popular for a long time back on Fox. And 
that's when uh, Andy eats the seahorses. Yes, the yes. aphrodisiac. Yes. Drinks. He's like, I don't know. It was dried. It was powder. So probably five or six. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dumps it into his glass of wine. I love that he's throwing up on Gabe's bed and just covering it with a pillow. Yes. Yes. This, it, shows, but, this show has no problem showing vomit. You notice best. that? That's happened like four or five different times. Usually you yeah, would just Pam's hear pregnant. the sound, yeah, but pregnant, not on right. the office. Like, um, I love the part in this episode when when Jim has to feed Dwight the the, the pizza for for Cece to stop crying. Because <laughs> yeah. someone who has had young kids and they're they're I mean they're two and four, but I mean they, they don't cry anymore like that. But like, as someone who's you know you're, when your babies cry, you will do absolutely anything. Friend, them stop crying, and if it means feeding your enemy a slice of pizza and a beer, you will do it. Usually, it also seems like Dave that anytime these characters leave the office and they go to have some get together, whether or not it's a dinner party or Benihana or whatever it is, it gets more awkward. It gets worse. It gets even harder to watch from a perspective of these people are just not well designed to be around one another without chaos ensuing. Yeah, because you take them out of the office environment where whether they love their work or not, there's kind of a comfort in that environment. They know who they are in that environment. But when you place them in the other environment, there's someone totally else. Like Just like us here at work, we're not the same person as we are when we're at home or when we're out having you know a social engagement. So yeah, that's where they're awkward. And this this episode where the, the Glee watching party uh, the fact that it's at the creeper's house to me, it, it just cranks <laughs> up, cranks up the awkwardness of it. Uh, that's and well, it, a couple of things stand out in this episode. Andy Bernard, he's high on the, the seahorses, sea and he gives a good <laughs> whiff of of Phyllis and says, "White diamonds, Liz Taylor." <laughs> like you know your perfumes, right? <laughs> that's one thing that stands out. I love the the whole deal with Dwight being the 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 baby whisperer in this case and taking care of Cece. But the line of that show for me is Kevin Malone. Kevin, what are you doing? I'm eating a pig in a blanket. <laughs> in, in a blanket. A blanket. <laughs> I want, no, he's like, I wanted to eat a pig in a blanket <laughs> in an actual oh, blanket. <laughs> so good. Oh, my God. That may be one of those instances where, you know, when we watch shows like this, we all have the characters that we want to identify with. Like, we all wanted to be Jim. Of course. That was one of those episodes and those moments and those scenes where I realized I was probably a lot closer to Kevin than I was to <laughs> <a> Jim. <laughs> have you oh, ever eaten a pig sure in a blanket in a blanket? Not yet, but life goals. <laughs> Whoop. Ryan Howard. <laughs> Who actually, you know what, his character went from being so unlikable to at least at this point, yeah. it's almost a little bit more tolerable. Like, B.J. Novak's a little bit more fun now than he was for the past couple of years. Wolf is an idea that's actually pretty much happened at this point, except it's not sending you a fax right. anymore. <laughs> but just no the facts. idea that he had nine days <coughs> to make big- this company successful or everybody was going to lose their money. And Michael, of course, is charmed by Ryan because he's always charmed by Ryan. But the best part of this episode is not Wolf. It's the hay in the parking lot. Hay town. I, that's what I wrote notes about. What I was like, because I watched this the other night to prepare for this, and I forgot how good Dwight and hay town was. And at the same time, Jim is not working anymore because he's hit what's a commission cap maximum that's correct and so he's sitting around doing absolutely nothing he is stoked because he's landed this big sale goes to find out what his commission is zero 
He's hey, hit the ceiling. Hey, town, you could have seen this coming as soon as Kevin went into it. Oh, that he was going to get lost yes. in that maze. <laughs> uh, and this is the episode when Angela met the senator, right? Is that the, the, is it this one? I think it is. Yeah, yeah. I think it is. Right, he was, right. was, was right. there with his kid. They, yeah, yeah. They met it. They met at Hey Town. Um, I just <laughs> Dwight, just the power move of, of making himself the Hey King, is just incredible. <laughs> you knew it was coming too. You're like, some way he'll make it about himself. The whole point of Hey Town was to like overcome what had happened to him as a child when yes. he wasn't the Hey King. Just that idea. I love the Hay Ride because I went on Hay Rides when I was growing up sure. where I lived and stuff, but never inside the back of like a delivery truck that was closed. <laughs> Like it was like on an open truck where you're out in the middle of everything. These are just people in the dark. These are kids in the dark sitting on hay bales inside a paper truck. And in true Dwight fashion, there's a kid playing over by the entrance. No, kid, get away from those. Those are show bales. They're not play bales. <laughs> show bales. Uh, I I had to explain to my wife like what Dwight's character was because so I don't know if you, everyone follows me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Schwartz. I, I tweeted about my wife. My wife doesn't want to watch The Office, but every time I put it on, she laughs the yeah. entire time. So we started watching The Office from season three. I decided, look, I can explain season one or two if I have to, but season three kind of gives a little bit peek back to, to Jim and Pam's relationship, and, and like I said, Ed Helms, Rashida Jones comes in. And um, and so I was trying to explain like Dwight to her. I, I didn't know what to say as like a background. I was like... I, I, the character is is so complex. I, I, how do you just like? How would you describe Dwight in a single sentence, Jason? Wow, you no, you can't because I, I was just rambling. I just started rambling out words like about what type of character Dwight is. Jeff, the word I've used in this podcast so far to describe him is militant, but that doesn't encompass everything. Militant World of Warcraft fan, but he also but he also has a soft side. Like for Angela, that never yes, really is. That's shown. the only one. But she's also militant. Yeah, but see that's <laughs> the, see that, but you, point, what true, you're saying, yes. Jeff, is absolutely right, and I think it leads us into this you know this next too, which series of episodes, yeah. which is yeah, he's got a soft side for Angela. Michael Scott can't become the full Michael Scott until Holly comes around. Yeah, Jim has a soft spot. You have a soft spot for your wife. Rhett does. Uh, maybe. Deja, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Once she starts watching The Office, you have a soft spot for your for your wife. Okay. You know these two do. I I hope hope to have that real soon as well. So like there is, there's something that kind of changes you, and I think that Dwight is still Dwight, but it does kind of alter him. And you see softer sides with him around Jim from time to time, and then you see the snowball fight, for example, where Jim's bloodied up and just destroyed by Dwight because Dwight is still the guy that dresses up like the StarCraft character in the in the Halloween episode in Season 8. Like they, These guys all have two sides to them. And then you've got this series where Holly's going to come back, and so you're going to have her for basically eight or nine episodes, and you're going to watch, you know, PDA... Yep. Between Holly and, and Michael in the office, you're going to see Toby taking his leave of absence. You're going to see uh, the end of Todd Packer. And here's another example, because Todd Packer screws himself over by saying something negative about Holly to Michael and saying that she's the problem. Then all of a sudden, Michael Scott realizes what everybody has always told him about Todd Packer is right. Todd Packer is a douchebag. And then he sends him to Florida for that fake trip to go down there to see Joe that that uh, Dwight and Jim were just trying to get him out of the office because he's just awful. And so that's not – he was totally blind. You talk about love is blind. Well, love actually put glasses on Michael Scott to see everything else from a different perspective. 
And that, I think, is why we see this evolution in this character that leads us to even him being able to laugh at himself in Threat Level Midnight at the end of it when he realizes, no, this movie is terrible. It's yeah. awful. Yeah. But, but it is boy, a funny is that episode, episode man. good. Oh, oh my gosh. That was fantastic. I, I did not remember how much I enjoyed it. I think at that point in time, I probably rolled my eyes. It was just like, I don't need this standalone episode. But in truth, it was it was a way for these characters to really play around before Carell left. And I also think it was an indicator of the family, even as dysfunctional as it is, the family that has always existed within Dunder Mifflin because you can go back and talk about how this film had been made over a you know a long yeah. period of time and everybody was involved in it. Like, Jim was the main villain in this thing, trying to impress Pam at this point, playing Golden Face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to dig her bones up. I'm going to Jim was in good. it. <laughs> I, Jim, the thing yeah. I always wondered about that whole process is how I wanted to know a backstory briefly about how Michael enticed Stanley, who never wanted to do anything for him, to do the voiceover work for Threat Level Midnight. Yeah, that's interesting. That's good it really questions. is. And you get to the end, you find out it's Stanley doing the voiceover work, but it's Michael Scarn. It's me. Yes, but I, I, I think I, I think I, th- I think the best part of that whole the whole movie is that he tried to cliche as much as he could into one movie, and that was like he wanted Stanley to be like Morgan Freeman, like speaking yeah. or James Earl Jones, yeah. like speaking over. He wanted a black man to do it, and he wanted to speak over because that's what they do in the big time movies. Just like the fight scenes they had in the movies and in his movie, the gun, the gunfight, it just was so over the top. I thought it was exactly perfect for what Michael Scott would make for a movie. Oh yeah, and Threat Level Midnight, not as absurd as most rock movies. Let's be honest with you. <laughs> you mean the Rock? You mean Dwayne the Johnson? Rock, movies. Dwayne Johnson movies? Yes. Absurd, oh, but those God. films are. San Andreas is my least favorite movie of all time. <laughs> I can't believe you actually saw that. As someone who I, I'm from Los Angeles, I know about earthquakes, and it's not even like I understand that that movies are going to embellish things, but it's so like I, I remember my mom. Went and looked up on on in like the internet like can a tidal wave take down the Golden Gate Bridge like she actually like she's like mom no it cannot it, it, I mean yeah I guess if a meteor hits right outside the Bay Area sure I, I guess it can't I mean, it's just so funny like it's just such a bad movie I mean Jeff I mean there are a lot of movies that are not real I just want to point this I out know to but you. it just was it there's just like was a funny, Triceratops like, hanging a bad, from a daisy in the Lost World like um, off a cliff this is such a bad movie it's such a, so so bad oh my god all right so Michael's Sorry. gonna leave and we're about to lose you here Jeff as yes. you have a lot of business to take care of so talk about and then we're gonna backtrack afterwards but goodbye Michael yeah I think the best episode in the series one of my all-time favorite episodes of any comedy ever is garage sale uh which is it's got the best secondary plot line with the Dallas board game but it's also the proposal episode and how perfectly it was all executed but I think that Michael and Holly is that it's it's the thing that I felt like was most pure about this show that was never ruined because it wasn't overexposed and Michael made all the right decisions and everybody in the office was helping him not screw it up. I forget who said it early on that you were surprised. It might have been you, Jason, that Holly wasn't more, featured more yeah. often in this. And I think that ended up being a good thing. I they agree. weren't overexposed to that. And everyone, and in the end, right, because everyone truly liked Michael. Like he I don't think he realized that, but you have Pam and Jim. They they all felt like they wanted Michael to do well in life. They wanted him to to be with Holly. So they worked toward that. You know, he's gonna he's gonna write in gasoline like marry me and Pam's like, how about we how about we don't do that? Um and I thought just again, 
the the proposal was so Michael Scott, yep. right? so over the top, so ridiculous. The, getting a ring that's thirty thousand dollars, like just, <laughs> or, you know, like just it, it was so perfect. And we've said this before. I mean, and I, I do have to get out of here, but like the show should have ended when he left in the airport. Um, you know, the Will the Will Ferrell stuff was I was looking forward to because I like Will Ferrell. I, I thought it was awful. It was. Um, but the the search committee episodes to end the season where I thought were thought were really good, and they got enough you know of of mainstream actors to come in and, and kind of give little cameos that it kind of made up for the four episodes that that uh, Will Ferrell was in. All right, Jeff, we'll uh, we'll catch you we'll catch you on the flippity flop. I think that's something Michael Scott said at one point in time. We appreciate you joining us for this, All right, man. take care, guys. I'm glad to be here. That was fun. Take care. That is Jeff Schwartz. You can follow him on Twitter at Jeff Schwartz. He likes to yell at people <laughs> on social media. So now we can backtrack a little bit. I wanted to get to that end so he could sure. talk about that. But China, global yeah. power China, throws the Newsweek magazines. Anybody read anymore? Michael Scott overreacting to basically absolutely everything that's going on. And at the same time, Dwight has bought the building. That's something we have not talked about. Dwight's Caffeine Corner. <laughs> and he's got the security guard working it pretty much for the remainder of the series. Taking the t- second ply of toilet paper off the rolls. <laughs> when, he's talking to Stanley, when he's talking to Stanley, he's like, a half ply. And then basically says, don't tell me how to do my business. Dwight is, well, he's Dwight, and that leads to Pam trying to find another office space for them, even to try to fake it, to get Dwight to kind of move back on these draconian measures that he's taking to save money, like the lights that are going off from time to time, and just all of these various cost-cutting measures. This is what happens when Dwight is in charge of anything, whether it's the health plan, whether or not it's the building, whether or not when he takes over as the interim manager and screws everything up, shoots the gun... He declares martial law, and it usually ends poorly. Yes. When he Militant. when he goes to check out the address, of the place that Pam's trying to move them to, and finds out that it's not really there, and he is making disparaging remarks about Pam, and as a woman named Pam happens to walk by, that's like one of the most white <laughs> moments and in interactions ever. That's a very Curb Your Enthusiasm moment, where Larry David is talking and says the wrong thing at the wrong time, and then makes it worse trying to explain it. So that's that's about halfway through the season there, and then we get the two-part Christmas episode, and that's where Holly does come back. It is when they have the first Christmas party planned, and then Michael just starts throwing away everything instead of even letting them eat it, just, just burying it. And Pam's like, we don't have budget for this. I'll pay for it. This is Michael Scott-like. This just shows how much he cares about this person and what this person means to him that – Tunnel vision is the only way to describe this. At that moment mm-hmm. that she's coming back, it's like he's been blessed. It's like he's been given this thing and nothing else even registers anymore. It's, it is truly Christmas for him. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. And he, had, you remember he had asked uh, Joe, when Joe's like, is there anything I can do for you? And he's just like, you can bring Holly back from Nashua. Well, I'll see what I can do. It's the worst Kathy Bates Southern accent I could have done right I there. I didn't think it was that yeah, bad, actually. Was that bad. I thought it was okay. Yeah, uh, yeah you're right. Christmas Party 1.0, it will never be good enough for Holly Flax. So we mm-hmm. have to make it classy. He's got the uh, red velvet sport coat on. Oh, and the, my goodness. And the Santa hat that and looks like trying a newsboy daughter, Trying to impress his daughter who had decided she didn't have enough fun with him. That, that basically, and Pam explains to him, nobody wants to be given money to go buy their own gifts mm-hmm. and all this, but then shows up, and then there's here's Hugh Hefner. 
yes. instead of the regular Santa Claus that Michael yes. Scott would have been, even though he's going to change <laughs> to that by the end. Hires the jazz uh, cellist oh, or whatever yes. it is. <laughs> yeah, he's got like a he's got like a stand up bass oh, in that room. God. One thing we forgot about China, and I think this is something we can actually relate to and talk about in our own lives, is that one person that sends a million text messages that are irrelevant and unnecessary. Daryl and Andy. Yes. Yes. And how Daryl's just talking about you're going to get blocked if you send me one more message. I think we all have somebody that just feels the need to text a little bit too often mm-hmm. about every little thing. You know, we might have a multiple somebodies. And I would say anybody listening probably as this, as we go year after year, there are more people like that because that's how people communicate now almost entirely. I, I'm not the guy that's ever sent like, Cat has cheeseburger videos and all that kind of stuff through email. <laughs> Text just makes it so much easier. I will send a meme here. I will send a gift from time to time and things like that. And certainly I, maybe too many of them. But there are some people where it's just they'll keep sending me links to this thing on Facebook or this video here. And I never even click on this stuff. I'm just like, I'm sure that's funny. Delete. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know what, to me in my life, I don't know what's more obnoxious, the person that does that in text or the person like Oscar in this episode who just wants to be the smartest guy in the room and, and has to challenge actually, someone. Actually. Yes. Actually, yes. And it's interesting because you don't really see that from the Oscar character. They've never That's something that they bring out, and that's one that makes total sense around that character. That's exactly what you would anticipate Oscar doing in that office Mm -hmm. they haven't spent that much time around it but yeah he does think he's smarter than everybody in there and look he may be in many respects he may be but it doesn't behoove him to be that guy and it it, another it's another way that we end up disliking a character because they're forcing that on you yes to to him his need to tell you and remind you he's the smartest guy in the office and as far as the text thing I think the bigger pet peeve for me personally because you're right we all know somebody or some uh, multiple people uh is the deal where they already like to text you too much but you are clearly busy or you have something going on and you're trying to disengage and you're making it obvious and they're like and by the way so and so and back and forth and back and like please enough. stop I I, enough. I I said bye like five texts ago yes not being able to read uh, clues is something yeah. that pops up in my life a lot lately like i'm i'm, I'm at the dog park trying to chill Got my headphones on, looking down. You're not looking for conversation. Don't, don't try to engage me in conversation. What kind of good conversations you have at the dog no, park while you have headphones on? None. Never had a good conversation at the dog park. Now, while if I'm walking I'm by you else. and I've got my dog, I give you the polite yes. nod. How you doing? Yes. And keep going. You're yes. good, right? Yes. Sunglasses on, earpods in, head down. You're in a good place. Yes. With your good friend, your your best friend, right there. Yes. And your dog. Yeah. No, I I would concur with that. Entirely. The snowball fight we sort of rushed through. <laughs> oh my gosh. First off, one of the, definitely the creepiest thing that I saw in this whole show outside of Gabe is that like fleet of snowmen at the end of this episode. Oh. And Jim's reaction would have been mine too. Because, because of the you, faces yeah, on those well, snowmen look like a horror movie. Because we are all of the same age. We probably watched Jack Frost. Absolutely. And that's yes. exactly what that reminded yes. me of. All of those snowmen out there. That bad horror movie when we were growing up. Yep. Yeah, and it was very apocalyptic feeling. It was very Dwight. Very it was, it was so good. And it was I tell you so what, great, though. His level, oh, it was great. Yeah, his level of getting back with Jim on that deal. I mean, oh, that, yeah. he got some even ground for all the years and years of pranks. I mean, 
Jim was in tears, man, and bloody tied shirt. I mean, he got he, destroyed. He absolutely he looked got like Fargus smoked. in a Christmas story. Yeah, I, I, I love a good snowball fight. One, and I'm probably that dude too, like Dwight, that takes things a little bit too seriously at times. So this was like one of the perfect episodes for me. Like I probably would have been Dwight in this episode. It's like he loaded the snowballs with like limestone it's, rocks from the driveway, man. I mean, he they peppered looked him. like they didn't look like snowballs that I remember. They'd have been in no. the freezer since they last like ice last balls. winter, yes. right? And then, of course, he has the one in the gift. Yes, that's why I'm saying his, his level of of trickery in this is it's it's very. Uh, admirable so, uh, it's it is what rain wilson directed the episode <laughs> so there you go nice there you go and mindy kaling wrote it ultimatum this is where the first glimmer of hope is for a down and destitute michael scott who thinks there is no chance because she still is dating mm. and living with what's his name that uh, aj from nashua. aj aj from nashua yes and was it was it christmas or was it ultimatum with the woody doll I thought I think it, I thought it was Christmas. I think it is. Yeah, yeah. It just like dumped condiments all over it. Boy, <laughs> threw it in the trash and <laughs> Who yeah, would just. Do this? <laughs> oh man! I, but he's I got think, it on a wash line in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, he has each individual garment. <laughs> like right, he's got right. Woody's shirt, boots, and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Yeah, <laughs> it was, yeah. It was definitely Christmas because that was like part of the gift. They were showing all the gifts in that moment, and there were some nice gifts around the office. As a matter of fact, usually when they did that, they, they got that one pretty right, even when they did the Secret Santa a couple of years before. Pam, who's now the administrative assistant, goes to Vance Refrigeration and sees this big board. And so she decides she's going to do a New Year's resolution board <laughs> with a bunch of people that aren't going to be able to keep it. And hers is caffeine. And there are some pretty hilarious deals here. And you know how this is going to end. This is going to end with that resolution board in the dumpster. As it does, as she like curls it in half, basically, and throws it away and says, lesson learned, basically. This is not the office to do this in. And then, of course, you've got Andy, Dwight, and Daryl going out to pick up chicks yes, as well in this episode. And Daryl kind of, and th this is when they end up in the roller skating rink. Yes. Daryl's New Year's resolution is to read, and he goes in and he buys like the Nook from Barnes & Noble <laughs> or whatever that is. <laughs> <laughs> this is also the episode where, where Kevin's being force-fed broccoli, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> you're right. I forgot about that part. Yeah, because it's ultimatum, and oh, she man. doesn't follow through. <laughs> she, like, lets the date go, and he, and he like, he, why are you eating it stem first? <laughs> and then turns around and just shoves the whole, like, front part of it into his mouth, and he, like, spits it out right before there would have been a commercial break oh. at the time. Yes, Kevin trying to eat broccoli is... Fun fact, uh, I like broccoli stems. I, I eat a whole broccoli, too. I don't mind anything. I can eat a broccoli. I say a broccoli. A broccoli. <laughs> it's like going through the line at, like, K&W Cafeteria, and they're like, would you like a bread? I, I'd like a broccoli. Yeah, I would like a broccoli. Uh, small business seminar. Andy trying to keep his job. Listen, this is uh, one of my favorite episodes of this season just because – He's, you know, bringing these prospects in, and he's going to do this seminar, and he's got everybody lined up. Jim bails immediately because his old buddy from second grade that he told he was didn't need to be hanging around with. Because he wasn't smart enough. Yeah, he was too dumb and all this stuff, and the guy remembers. I love oh. that the guy makes it that oh, yeah. awkward when they run into each other. It's like, oh, I figure I was too dumb for you to see when, when I was here. Near, like when they're in the kitchen 
It's just like I figured Jim's probably yeah. overreacting. No, this is the office. That guy remembered every uh, big big paper sales guy. I thought you'd be building rockets by now <laughs> or some kind of line like that. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's the Greek couple. <laughs> Mykonos. Mykonos and, and Holly's not playing into it, and then she plays into it by the end. You're like, okay, we know where this is headed. We know exactly where this is headed. Also, Gabe is playing, I guess, a Scrabble or Words with Friends. Yes. Whatever it is with Aaron. I jelp you. <laughs> I j- does jelp a word? Is J-L-P. What, uh, yes, yes. Oscar cares about winning this because, of course, he does. Yes. Let's Aaron play the last word and loses and oh. loses his mind. He's trying to get her to play apoplexy, and she plays ape. I will instead. be <laughs> if you don't win this. And loses because you knew that she was going to lose, and then it's who, it's what movies they pick. And, of course, Creeper picks, like, snuff film horror. Oh, yeah. All over the place. Just the most awful B-grade, C-grade even. And so. she, wants to, she wants to see Wally. Yes. Which is yes. very good. And so he says, let's, um, you know, we'll compromise on this. And it's like a horror film that has a robot in it. <laughs> the other thing about Seminar, too, is... When Kevin comes into Crazy Train, downs oh, a sandwich after three laps and just just hurls in the tra- trash can. Well, like he never completely. gets back to normal. Oh, and then Creed comes in. Oh. The Loch Ness Monster. So why <laughs> are you here? There's just so many great. The old man that, that's there for the seminar. Yeah, we're going to invest in old mine shafts. <laughs> Oh my gosh, they're just, I don't know what it is about that episode, but it just, it is so funny to me. I think it's interesting that Andy is that bad a salesman. Like, that's something that increasingly becomes a storyline, is how bad he is. And, well, and because also, like, all he ever is really attempting to do deep down is sell himself to his own parents, and his dad in particular. Wow, you just took this thing deep. But oh, it's yes. true. It's what I passenger do. with David. Yeah. So that's, yeah. I mean, you would, you would think that. If he applied that same type of a drive to sell himself to his dad and applied it to selling paper, he would be somewhat successful. Well, he's cl- he's clearly a silver spoon kid who oh, hasn't yeah. had to do anything. And Cornell is his university, and he flew through there on bees because he was you know partying and all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, he, it is increasingly uh, more apparent as the episodes fly by and seasons fly by that he couldn't sell his way out of a paper bag. Yeah, he's he's terrible at that job. And he'll tell you he is. He say he has no confidence whatsoever. Yeah, even when uh, Michael gives him the 10 clients, his yeah. 10 biggest clients, he's like, I'm going to lose these. You know I'm the worst salesman in the office. <laughs> and at some point, he lost like three of them by lunchtime He lost like the something. lumber while Michael was still saying goodbye. <laughs> he's like, I lost blah, 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 lumber. And Michael just looks at the camera. He's like, just do your best, buddy. <laughs> so garage sale, I think I think the, the, the prelude to garage sale to me is the search which is another one of my favorite episodes of a comedy ever. Because this is when you realize, if you didn't already know, that Michael and Holly are perfect for each other when Michael is left at the service station because of Helene leaving Cece in the car. Locking Cece in the car. And so Jim leaves, and Michael comes out, and Michael's totally lost. And he goes to the Chinese restaurant, and everywhere he goes is the same place that Holly follows. Holly, who just kind of is going about her way, is going the same place as Michael Scott would. And then all of a sudden, Dwight's basically like, she's the key. She she knows where he's going to be, even without trying. And this is where you get my favorite just single visual in the history of this show, which is the Board of Thieves. Yes. 
at the restaurant. The Dine and Dashers. The Dine and Dashers, and Michael's part of it, obviously, but that's not what's funny. What's funny is the camera then just panning down to show Creed yes. having been a thief as well. Because, of course, Creed dined and dashed <laughs> out of this place. Well, at this point, it's pretty well established that he's a klepto. So it's only, I mean, it's only natural that he's dining and dashing at various Chinese joints around Scranton. Yeah, but it's just, and then it ends with them kissing on the roof. And at this point, you say, okay, well, you know there's only about 10, 11 episodes left in the season. You're not exactly sure maybe yet where Carell's going to exit. But I think you know at this point, okay, they're back together for good now. Like, if there's going to be a bump in the road, it's not going to be, it's going to be ironed out before an episode is over. So you go from the search to PDA, and then you go to threat level midnight where Holly thinks it's kind of terrible, and then Michael realizes, yeah, she's right. This is absolutely terrible, but we can laugh at this and have a good time. And you see the rest of the office enjoying their parts in it because they all are just like, you know, we had a good time, it seems like, putting this whole deal together. And then you go to Todd Packer, where Todd Packer screws up by saying something negative about Holly, and that basically lets her go. That also has the episode where Pam gets Aaron a computer at reception, and Andy's angry about that, so he tries to destroy his own by putting, like, the sandwich in the CD, CD tray. Yes. <laughs> And just, just trying to make it happen, and you hear, like, the, the windows boot up when he gets, like, the new old computer, and Daryl knows exactly what's happening. He says, I think you might have found five vacation days or five extra sick days in the warehouse while you were at it. And so Pam has to go. And then at the end of the episode, great Pam line. She's just like, I'm totally corrupt. And she's laughing about it because she's got power. And anybody that has power in this show is a disaster. They're either out of their depth they're the dumbest person in the office all of a sudden, or they're corrupt or overly authoritarian. When Ryan got to his job, we saw what happened to Ryan. Michael, early on, when he wielded his authority, we saw what happened to Mike. We saw every time Dwight got power, what happened with Dwight. We even saw Jim not really be able to handle the co-manager role. Anybody that had authority in the office had to be made a fool of because of this whole Mardi Gras mentality that defined this show from the very beginning. Well, I've, I actually thought about that episode earlier this week because one of the um, computers in the studio here locked up, just froze up, quit working completely. So I go to find it in the rack room to see what the problem is. For some reason, the CD slot on it opened up, and that was enough to completely shut down this computer to where it would not do it anything whatsoever. So I was thinking about putting bologna in putting it. Putting bologna in to see if we could get it. Actually, I wasn't going to waste bologna. Most impressive part about that is it. it had mustard on it. Like, it had condiments on it. Like, it wasn't just the meat. He I, went yeah. all out and put French's on this thing before he put it through. I'm not going to waste any good bologna, but I was thinking, what can I put in this thing to where we have to get a new computer? So and it's funny just the the idea of getting Aaron of all people like some high end computer right. because right. what would she be able to do so with a high end computer? Continue to play solitaire on she it. She can like barely Pan work Dave. the phones. Bless her heart. She just she's she's has trouble. Bless her heart. That's it's a good nickname for her. Garage Sale is episode nineteen. Steve Carell directed it. This is the one. This is the one that gets to the perfect proposal at the end, but I just want to sit here for about an hour and talk about how great the Dallas board game is and how great that whole idea of making up rules on the fly, all of them using accents, Kevin's, Kevin like playing as if this is wrong, the money disappears out of the kitty, 
and one of the great Kevin Malone lines in this show, and that's Dallas. You can actually, this thing will send you like a full, complete Dallas board game. It's going to send you back about 100 bucks on eBay. Really? Did you I, look it up? I know this because I looked it up to see if it was actually a real thing I when I saw this episode. I figured it was too, but I'd never, I had never seen it. Um, I guess I was a little bit too young. I was still playing shoots and ladders when the Dallas game. Yeah, I was playing Candyland shoots and yeah. ladders, all but, of that. Stuff. And we learned that Kevin was actually on an episode of Dallas that he told them about when he was a kid. You know, when they traveled there and they were at South Fork or whatever. That's, and that's right. How all that came about. That's but, right. Uh, uh, the other thing that is funny about garage sale is the magic beans. Magic legumes. legumes. And how yeah. Dwight is making all these deals. I wish I could have seen him make every single deal. Yeah. Because I love how he tricked each yeah. person individually. Meredith's junk. Or whatever. Yeah, like when he got to that, I was like, can we see each one? Like, just extend this out so I can watch how Dwight was able to finagle this thing. But Jim and the way that he lays out these legumes. And, at the, and then at the end, you see Dwight watering those watering the legumes walks away and then here comes jim with five plants that yeah, are already basically done. trimmed topiaries oh it's absolutely it's absolutely great and, this and who does him out of the big nice uh, telescope that he is you know he's traded till he's gotten to an item that it's pretty nice yeah and he gets that telescope and him. i don't even think jim cared about the telescope he just wanted no. dwight not to have it no. he wanted to he wanted to overcome dwight yeah two of the more elaborate things that jim did was that and the garden party book in season eight, oh, which yes. is ridiculous because he didn't write a full book. Like, how could he have even had time to write the full book? But it's still you. You can you can suspend disbelief. It's it's all right. But you get to he's not going to use the gas to propose because Pam's like, okay, hang on. And he grabs it and runs away. She's not going to light it. You've had one really good idea today and one, and terrible, one terrible idea. One. Yeah. Yes. And you know, I did not know. At, when I watched this originally, that it was going to get to a proposal by the end of this episode. Felt like, okay, well, they're going to set this up and they'll do it in a couple, mm-hmm. couple more. And then Holly tries to propose to Michael. In the, in the snack room, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and cuts it off. And Holly's like, wait, he doesn't want to do this or whatever. Shut it. Yeah, and then just leaves. And he says, that will not be our story. We're not going to get, you know, she is not going to propose to me in the break room right. of Dunder Mifflin. Right. And so then he leads her on this little kind of trip down very recent memory lane of the of time that, that they happened known in each the office. Other. Yes. Yeah, the stairwell where they had sex. Yes, the stairwell where they talked. Uh, very him at the water cooler and, and how just he used acting to like use he was that. filling. Yeah, water. it's like you could have yeah. used a cup instead yeah. of just dropping it through there. But you just you see all of this stuff and the where he stood when he saw her when she first walked in like through the through the deal and you can see i think at this point exactly where this is going well, but you don't know exactly how it's going to end yeah. we have seen kelly's candle earlier in the episode because that's what dwight first yeah he's able candle. to trade what was it he traded to get the candle it was something just absolutely. Oh, it was a uh, pushpin. It was a thumbtack or something. Yeah, because like that. Uh, Meredith's sign sign was crooked on her right, table, and so right? Meredith gave him. I guess it was Meredith's candle. It wasn't Kelly's candle, right? Because Kelly had like a book series or something like that. She had the Twilight books. Is that what? It, no, it wasn't something that famous. Okay, or at least it was something that it was famous, but it wasn't exactly the same. And so, basically, you hear him finally say, "Let's go in here." And when he does, and you see them all standing there holding the candles, 
the way in which this lays out, there's no way to look at this and think Michael did this alone. This is Michael and Pam. This is what it has to be because Pam's the one. Pam is kind of the Rosetta Stone for Michael Scott to try and just take what's nonsense in him and make it real. And she knows how to take something totally outlandish and turn it into something perfect. And maybe Jim's part of this too, but I always looked at this as Pam stopped him from doing this and then Pam helped him. And maybe the rest of the office did as well. But the idea that as she's walking through this gauntlet, a number of the guys ask her, will you marry me? And she keeps saying no. And Ryan says, will you marry me? And you hear Michael Scott say, it's the only one that I was a little concerned about. <laughs> still to, Pam, still to yeah, the end. Pam did this. Had to have. It, it's, it, you're, I think you're right because much like she created the pencil box or what a tissue box or whatever it is for the bird and the funeral, you know, that whole deal, she did this only so much better and memorable and yeah select ones were asking proposals as it led to the proposal spot yeah and so go through those go through that like candle deal and then you open the door and there's a million candles there around her desk and the office has never looked prettier no i mean it's, it's fantastic perfect. this is perfect like i hope i'm this good like it's and then then the way Carell executes these lines he basically says this is where we met, this is where I fell in love with you, and this is where I ask you to marry me. And there's like, there's no Michael Scott in this at all. There's none of the awkward office person. We're going to get that when the sprinklers come on, but that's just the fact that they are able to laugh that off, that Michael doesn't see that as some negative or this is ruined or anything else. They both just sit there and laugh, and then everybody, and I mean everybody that works at Dunder Mifflin, is overjoyed in this moment. And has doesn't have a care in the world no. that they're getting soaking wet from the sprinkler system. All of them are clapping Ryan, Dwight, uh, Stanley. Everybody yeah. is behind Michael Scott here. And this is why I talk about how the way that they let Michael Scott exit and the evolution of that character went from this completely unlikable authoritarian to a buffoon, to somebody who tried too hard, to somebody, everybody in the office and everybody by proxy watching the office was 100% happy for in this moment, which is why I think it is such a stellar episode, even with like the, with the legumes and with the Dallas game and all the other things that are going on in this episode, this proposal is as good a proposal as I've ever seen in TV. And it's kind of, it's kind of everything that show was at its best. These different storylines going on at one time. Uh, one is totally goofy, and the other one ends up to be one of these most emotional moments that we'll see on the show. And they can ha be happening at the same time. Yes. That, that, to me, is the office at its best. But the happiness only lasts for a moment because of course, earlier in this episode, Holly is talking to her father in Colorado. He has dementia. He's having trouble, and he's repeating questions because his short-term memory is becoming a problem. Mm -hmm. And so Michael breaks the news that We're he's leaving. going to be going to Boulder, Colorado. And Kevin, are we all moving there? <laughs> he thinks the branch is moving there, I guess. And another example, <laughs> earlier in the show, they would have said, good riddance. Or they would have said, all right, see ya. Jim's reaction in particular, when he says, I'm moving to Colorado, we're moving. Jim has a look on his face like he's going to lose one of his best friends. Yeah. And that is when you get to 
the exit of Steve Carell and the other most beautiful thing that this show did up until the actual finale episode itself, which is him saying goodbye to everybody in the office and particularly how he said goodbye to Dwight and Jim and Jim basically, what was it that first, whenever you, Netflix drives me crazy with this. When I turn on Netflix, I don't need your preview to pop up every single time. Yeah, just I want it to stay silent so I, I can just leave Netflix on right. and not have like 30-second preview of Wild Wild Country. Yeah, I don't need a trailer. I don't need, any I don't need of that. anything. I, I agree. And I wish there was a way to turn it off. Maybe some people like it, but make it an option. But every time you go to the office, there's this shot of Michael Scott talking about what a boss is. And it's from the very first episode of the series. And he's talking about how a boss is really a best friend. And all these people see me as their best friend. Take that to the episode where he leaves as we begin to kind of talk about that. And how Jim says, you're the best boss. is just talking about how he can't say goodbye or that they'll wait and say goodbye till the next day. Even though Jim has figured out he's leaving at 4 o'clock. Watching just kind of how he needs, he needs Phyllis to finish those mittens. And he yeah. needs Pam <laughs> back in the office. Phyllis has got like arthritis and she's got knuckle problems. And Michael's just like, ah, well, just power through it. Let's get those done. I want to be able to pack them tonight. But Jim says, you know, we'll say goodbye tomorrow, knowing that this is the goodbye. Yeah. And what Jim says is he says, you know, tomorrow I'll be able to tell you what a great boss you turned out to be. Best boss that I ever had. And it's kind of like if you go back to what Michael Scott said in that deal that pops up every time you go to the office on Netflix, <laughs> boss friend. And that's Jim basically saying everything Michael Scott ever wanted to hear from Jim Halpert because of what he believes a boss should be. Basically, you, Jim saying, really, with the exception of Pam, you're my best friend. And I never saw that coming. What a great boss you turned out to be. Not from the start, but basically, Michael, I've watched you go from being a total child to somebody I could not be happier for. And even tells him, look, you are not making a mistake. Sometimes goodbyes are just tough. It's so beautifully executed. You're right, because Michael Scott, through his years of being the regional manager, through lots of trial and even more error, has found his way to being a pretty doggone good boss. Um, and what a sincere moment. I mean, you could tell those two didn't need no. any help turning on the waterworks with this deal. I, I'm i not going to lie. I didn't have any trouble turning on the waterworks a couple no. of times. I didn't have I, – I, I cried just a little bit rewatching Garage Sale at the end. It always gets me. I end up having to go back and watch that last, like, five minutes two or three times. Yeah. And then Carell's exit – uh, with Jim and obviously with Pam in the airport and Dwight reading the letter of recommendation and going from like rolling his eyes. And you remember Michael uses the whole dictionary definition thing in the letters like the dictionary defines. <laughs> right. He's done that earlier. He did it at right. the Dundies and they mocked him before. And so Dwight's like, oh, well, if I wanted to read a dictionary, I'd just go get a dictionary. And then, then Michael Scott's next line in that deal is I define it as Dwight Schrute. And like you see Rain Wilson just kind of that's to me that's Rain Wilson in that moment like God I'm about to lose Steve Carell yeah. off this show. Same thing with Krasinski, same thing with Jenna Fisher, same thing with all of these various characters. And even like the Kelly Kapoor being completely oblivious to it, is like, could the best gift I be I do just leave you alone 
and she says yes, and he just gets up and walks off. Like there are some characters, mm-hmm. it's like he's figured out how to speak to everybody in this office except Toby. And trying to be thoughtful because yes. this is where he has evolved. He has written down and segmented his entire day to spend, if I can spend five minutes with everybody in the office, I'll have it all covered and I'll be, no regrets, I'll have it covered and I'll be satisfied. Yes, and so he does a really good job. And before he leaves, of course, we meet D'Angelo Vickers. <laughs> and I like the way yes. that they meet. I love the way that they meet in the bar. Yeah. And, and that that's very Will Ferrell and Steve Carell at their best. Um, this character sucks. Real quickly, this character sucks. Even though I, you see Michael Scott not really liking all the changes that are being made. He doesn't like that. People seem to think that D'Angelo Vickers is good at his job. D'Angelo Vickers is not good at his job. That's the first thing. He's got the inner circle that we're going to see. He's getting shaved in the office. and So Aaron's going to shave Michael to, because Michael's still got a little bit of envy in him here because he still just wants to be liked. He doesn't want anybody else to be seen as the boss until he is gone. But trying to make Will Ferrell work on this show they made him so, to me, unlikable and unfunny. I'll underline it with this, and David, I'll see if you agree. But I, I've enjoyed Will Ferrell since his days, early days at SNL. Sure. I've seen most of his movies. I, I like him less now because of this role. This may be the most controversial thing I say on you this love podcast. It, don't you? You love D'Angelo Vickers, don't you? Not a fan of Will Ferrell. Oh, period. Period. Okay. That, and this this character, I, this this character to me is first season uh, Michael Scott. I guess it's him at his worst, but in a way, him at his best because we're not supposed to like like it. I just there was to me it was no need for that character during these episodes. No, it, it was just a way to it just convoluted things. We knew what was happening at this point. We, we wanted knew, the fan service with Michael Scott did. right now. We did. We wanted we wanted Michael to end up with Holly, and we wanted to say our goodbyes. And then there's just this thing in the way. Yeah. And and you knew it wasn't going to be a permanent thing. No, I, I felt that way, too. And, and D'Angelo, of course, was, as Michael Scott knows everybody in the office and cares about everybody in the office by this point, D'Angelo is taking us back to a time where the manager doesn't know anything and doesn't care about anybody. He's like, Andy's the funny guy. But only when Andy's hurting himself is he the funny guy. But he does have a great line at the end because Pam and Jim think they're in with him because of their baby. It's enough with the baby. But at the end of the episode, after he's like, that is one cute baby. And then he looks at the camera uh, to the documentary and he's just like, that baby could star in a book called Babies I Don't Care About. (laughs) Just a tremendous line from this. And it's I'm not... It's weird. D'Angelo is not a name you would expect this character to have. No, no. not at all. <laughs> like, and it's not really. It doesn't. It's never talked about. Like, it's not discussed. Really, you think that maybe that's going to become a. There's going to be a storyline <laughs> here that's going to make into something awkward. Because they just would, don't even do anything. We would see it later with with a name that turned out not to be that person's actual name. Right. Yeah. So I thought the entire time the gag was this guy's name is is Sam Smith. Or Bill Jones, and he's just he's created this alter ego, and, and it could have been. Yeah, D'Angelo Vickers. I, I mean, everything about him is irritating in this thing. Delan- D'Angelo Vickers sounds Delaney. like 
sounds like a football player. That's what yes. I'm saying. Yeah, yes. he sounds like an athlete. He sounds like a D tackle. Yes. Well, I mean, he is an athlete. He dunks a basketball. Yes, he does. And he also <laughs> in this char- as in this character wears lots of uh, Western inspired clothes, and he wears the well. The Southwest Sterling is his, Southwest Sil- is his favorite region of the right. country. Yeah. Yeah. Sterling silver jewelry with turquoise. Yeah, what like, is with that like, like, dude, bangle bracelet what are that you, he's rocking? Papaw here, man. Come <laughs> on, that straight off come off of shop at home at three o'clock in the morning. Exactly, and he did the stretch pay three pay three yes. payments. Yes, one last Dundies before Michael leaves, where you get the song at the end, and I think you knew when they said, "Hey, we need to keep this thing going." I knew what was about to happen. I didn't yeah. know it was going to be a song. I knew it was going to be a tribute. To Michael Scott from everybody in that office. And then you get Carell at the end. Oh, this is going to hurt like a mother. <laughs> yes. Yes. And that to me was a very Steve Carellish kind of thing as well. Like, I, I would love to know how they got through this and how much of mm-hmm. what they were doing on screen was them emoting to him leaving and him emoting yeah. to his character leaving. Especially um, that, that scene with, with him and, and Pam at the airport. Like that's the that's that's the one that really gets me, and then of course the the series finale. Those are the two that that did get me crying. From Wikipedia, this is the second of Will Ferrell's four episode stint. Ferrell signed on to appear in Carell's final three episodes. The first episode without him, the inner circle to make the transition away from him easier. Ferrell initially called the producers and offered to appear in a few episodes in Carell's last season because quote he is a fan wanted to com- commemorate Carell's swan song, unquote. And, of course, he had been an anchor man with him, and they were friendly. But he loved The Office, and he wanted to be a part of Carell's last season. I just wish he'd been a better character. Well, the thing about it is, like, I understand that. And, but you distracted people from what the focus should have been on. Feels like maybe he becomes a different character earlier in the season. As opposed to right there right around at the end, Michael right Scott at the end. Yeah, that's like Wednesday night at the Predators game. Rick Bird's going to be the towel waver. We do get to see Meredith's house in the Dundies episode. Oh, yeah. Where she I wants to cook them it, breakfast. And D'Angelo's just like, I am uh, not going in there. Yeah. And he, compare, he compares her but, front yard to Hurricane Katrina. But did we, <laughs> did we expect that. that Meredith was going to live in it? I, I oh. figured it was going to be a vacant lot and she was going to be in her van. That's what I figured. Also have Michael talking about Godfather 3 and how that's the perfect way to end as opposed to Godfather 1 when it was totally confusing <laughs> oh, man. and only had, quote, three big laughs <laughs> that Michael Scott didn't get the Godfather because he thought it was supposed to be a comedy because isn't everything. Oh, man. So then we get to goodbye, Michael, and again, he says goodbye to everybody. And... We have already seen Aaron break up with Gabe at the Dundies, which is really uncomfortable and shows again that Aaron just got no home training at all, basically. Dwight doesn't like the fact that he's not going to be Michael's replacement, so he's being super cold to Michael right up until that letter of recommendation turns him around. And what was it that Michael... Michael also explained to him why. Like, it wasn't it wasn't malicious. He didn't overlook... I can't. I can't remember why he didn't recommend yeah, he had it for the logic position. And reasoning it was a of, very good reason. Yeah. As a matter of fact, we see that D'Angelo doesn't know how to sell. Andy actually ends up saving a sale with one of the clients after D'Angelo makes that. You ever play Russian roulette? I mean, pony up to the table, Boris. <laughs> Which is a 
definitely a solid line from a character that doesn't have a whole lot of them. D'Angelo's not funny. He's not good at the Dundies. He's going to become sexist and all that in the, the first episode after. But this one, luckily, is very Steve Carell heavy from the start where he's in the you know the lawn chair basically on, on top of the building to say goodbye. And I think you knew when Pam disappears that she's going to show up. And as I've mentioned a couple of times on this podcast, the show opens with Michael Scott being incredibly disrespectful to Pam, the receptionist, in the first season. And you get to the end, and he's also he's given Pam another job. He's made her a salesman. She's now an administrative assistant. She's a mother. She's a wife. He loves her to death. She's the one that helps him with his proposal, stops him from doing something that would have been a mistake. And so after going through all of the smaller characters individually – perfect moment we get to the end Michael Scott is rolling his deal through the airport he finally takes off the mic and this is why I think this should have been the end of the series because that closes the whole reason the series existed which is these people are mic'd up and they finally go back to reminding us yeah because for the most part you've forgotten that that's right very few times have they mentioned it Jim mentioned it once when they were in the bathroom and Jim kind of is just like, are you guys filming people in the bathroom now? That happens. It's just a throwaway line. This is Michael Scott saying, I'm so glad I can finally take this off. He takes it off and he hands it to him, and then you can't hear him speak. So this is the end. This is a visual end. It's a literal end. It's an audio end. This is it. And then he walks away, and as you see the camera following him away, Pam then runs up out of nowhere, hugs him a couple of times, and you can't hear what they're saying. But you know what they're saying because you know those two characters. You know how far they've come. You know how much they care for one another. That should have been a wrap right there. That was the perfect ending to a series. And as good as the finale was, the stuff before we get to the finale really to me was just gravy training, a show that was still doing pretty well in the ratings. Not great, but pretty well to keep it on because they didn't have anything to replace it with when they should have gone ahead right here. And that should have been the end of the series. I just, if we follow the arc of Michael from the beginning until now, the circle is complete. And had this been, and and this is Jason, we just sat through and endured eight hours of WrestleMania on Sunday. Whatever happened to the adage of leave them wanting more. Less is more, man. And had that been the end of The Office, we would be sitting here today talking about how that perhaps was the greatest final episode in television history because it was perfect. They they would have done it right. But instead, we've got to endure Robert California and... (laughs) more Gabe and we finally get to a payoff with with Dwight and Dwight as a person and in a relationship but an awful Nellie Bertram but look uh, but looking back on looking Uh, back on everything that happens after that if I never had that in my life the office is still one of the greatest television shows ever I mean I, I don't disagree I just feel like I can't believe that they did not write this, execute it, and not realize in that moment, oh, gosh. It's never going to get any better. Right. This is it. Right. And they've done it twice Elvis now. has left the building. Garage sale could have been Steve Carell's exit from the show if they had wanted it to be. Yeah. But keeping him around for a couple of episodes to say goodbye, 
the way that you remember originally he gets the ice cream cake even though who is it that's allergic to it? Meredith, Meredith right? And it's her party. It's her party. He's like, well, she's not the only one. It's not really her birthday, it. but they wanted to celebrate. So, yeah. So, of course, they're expecting that he's going to have all this big deal for his party. And he's like, you know what? What do you guys want? Let's get vanilla. Let's get something everybody likes. And then she mentions hot fudge. And he's like, sounds good. Fudge it up. And he leaves, and he is – this is another one of those moments where we've gone from this super selfish character where he only thought about what he wanted at that party to he's going to leave them behind the day before they expect him to, but he wants them to have a party that they're going to enjoy, yeah. that they're going to have the ice cream they want. And at the same time, we're terrified that Pan's going to miss the goodbye because right. she's at the store procuring all those items. And she's at the King's Speech. That too. She's at a king speech. Yes, but she oh, does. Yeah. <laughs> but she does make it. But there, there are so many. It's just that is a per. It was a great goodbye to Steve Carell. It was like it was a great goodbye to Michael Scott. But really, without Michael Scott, there should be no office. I, I there's a part of me that would love to to. I don't. It may even be out there, but have a discussion with the writers and producers that when you got to this point, what was the conversation like? Was there a conversation to be had with management and production about watch this and see if this needs to be it? Because you and I sitting in here, we're trying to work on something. We're trying to produce. We use our creative creativity to produce something for radio. And there's often times where we're in here and we have all this these elements and this end in sight, this end in our mind, and we get to working on something, and it just comes to a natural point. Where no matter what you have left, you just look at it and think, "Well, that's the perfect it's way done. this thing that yeah. this this ends. It's it's over. It can't get any better than what it is." To me, that episode, that's what that was like. And I wonder if there was ever any conversations after that show was was cut and edited and and finally pressed that they watched it back and said, "There may need to be a conversation that that that, that we need to have with NBC about this being the last episode because it's." It stands alone as the perfect ending to this series. It does, but it's not, unfortunately, the ending. So now we're going to get the job search, and we're going to get D'Angelo's inner circle, which I'm just going to blow by. Not to, <laughs> not to, not. I mean, there's laughs to come. Let, let's let's be honest about yeah, that. Dwight Schrute, acting manager, is pretty good. Yes, yes, right there towards the end. That's true. Uh, the inner circle one's just kind of D'Angelo with the guys and Jim playing his way out of it by basically just suggesting that some people in the office think maybe he's being sexist with the yeah. people that are in there with him. And just, we were about, to, then we get to the end of Will Ferrell because he does the dunk and he ends up going away and never coming back. And then you get Dwight K. Schrute acting manager and he ends up shooting the gun, which is a, a, a female it's, gun. It's, yeah. That Joe Bell just at the end. destroys him over. Yeah. And again, as soon as he gets authority, he screws up. And yeah. so Creed ends up with the office at one point as well, because he has the most seniority. Well, wait a minute. Let's not skip over D'Angelo's exit from the show. That was truncated. It's a term that you threw out there last week. Uh, to me, that was just like, <laughs> we have no plan. Bye. See ya. <laughs> like, could there not have been a more creative way? I was to, just like, he's to, gone. He gone. He gone. There was not even like, they didn't even go back to him to talk. Like, it was just like, once he was gone, he was gone. Yeah. Move right along. Four episodes. This is the fourth one. He's gone. Uh, the Fist, The Uprising, Jim's Uprising. 
putting up the double flyers after Dwight takes the first one down. <laughs> um, Pledge of Allegiance. <laughs> firewalls and passwords and this punch clock that looks like it was something Fred Flintstone would have used. Yeah, I would have do. Just everything about it is pretty much exactly what you would expect. And Jim gets the shagadelic baby to send away to try and keep the gun thing separate. He finally just comes clean and talks about the gun, and then he loses his job. Like, it, it does not last particularly long. Cree gets put in charge, which, no, that's not going to work. No. And it does not, and then we get the search committee, and that's going to take us to this this hour-long finale of the of the season. And so you're going to get a fleet of big-name actors. Will Arnett, Ray Romano, Jim Carrey is the Finger Lakes guy, who I remember loving originally just because how stupid it was. Warren Buffett, who shows up there mm. for just a short period of time. Ricky Gervais, via the laptop and the David Brent character, making its kind of role there. Catherine Tate, who I hate beyond all reasonable belief, and unfortunately she's going to come back into this show. I'm not looking forward to talking about it at all. And, of course, we meet Robert California. James Spader's character. And I will say this, and we'll, we'll we'll spend eight and nine next week, but I like the Robert California character a lot. And I like James Spader a lot. I would have liked to have seen that character in charge of Michael Scott earlier in the series. At this point, it ain't Michael Scott, so it's not going to feel like the same show. But if he had been a supervisor above, like a corporate guy, I would have loved to have seen that. Because James Spader is simultaneously uncomfortable and awkward to watch, but plays everything straight. Whether or not he's a character on the blacklist or whether or not he's this guy, he is just like a younger Christopher Walken in so many ways. But he delivers the lines really well, and he's creepy as hell too because he's always talking about sex in some form or fashion. I liked that Ray Romano got basically talked into screwing up his interview by Robert California, who then ends up selling Joe Bennett on her job, becoming the CEO of the company because he's that good. And it goes back to Jim saying, that guy creeps me out. I also think you might be a genius. <laughs> Robert California, I, you know, I have nothing against him. I don't I don't hate the character. I think it was pretty decent. I, it just, everything pales in comparison at this point because Michael yes. Scott is not in the picture at all. And that's probably really my only objection to the character. This was my first introduction to James Spader and the the genius that is him as an actor. Yeah. Uh, you compared him to Walken, but he, to me, he is... He's Goldblum. He's walking. He's one of but those kind of guys. But he's not. But to me, those guys kind of get caught up in weirdness for weirdness' sake. For me, he doesn't do that. Well, I mean, I agree with that. I'm saying, but he can play weird. He can oh, play yeah, weird. Absolutely. But the Blacklist character is obviously not a weird character, right? Um, it's a calc. It's what he what he does is he plays a calculated guy, mm -hmm. and he's able to deliver dialogue that seems ridiculous very cut and dry and he can also flip a switch between being outlandish and being dead serious like when he's in the squash match earlier in yeah. season eight or he's at the garden party or the i don't think you understand me at all when he's trying to talk to to various people within the office i think that they you you just weren't going to replace steve carell no you weren't there was it wasn't going to work 
search committee, you got some cameos, but you just kind of felt like, okay, there's a bunch of cameos in this episode. Very right, cool. Because you knew, again, you knew Ray Romano wasn't going to take over on the no. office. No. And Jim Carrey probably had too much star power to even be be that. Also not a fan of Jim Carrey, anything he's ever done. Ever? Ever. Jim Carrey ruined me after the cable guy. Uh, he, uh, even uh, Fire Marshal Bill, this dude chews up more scenery in, a, in, a, in whatever he's in than anyone I've ever seen. Ricky Gervais talked about this episode. His quote about Warren Buffett's appearance in, in particular was, if you're going to jump a shark, jump a big one. <laughs> He's basically good. asserting right in that moment. Yeah. Yeah, we yeah. should probably be done here. Sure. Like, this show should probably be done here. Um, there's still some interesting stuff here with, like, Aaron and Phyllis potentially, Phyllis being her mom. Yeah. Even though that doesn't turn out to be the case. I bought it. <laughs> I, thought that was, I thought that that's exactly where they were going with it. Daryl thinking he really has a good chance to become acting manager, but he does not have a resume or really any answers to any questions. But because he's Daryl, he still actually is kind of right because he's not as unlikable as some of the other people are. And he's just going for it, even though he knows he's not good for it, just because he feels like he has to. And let's not forget, Michael held him back all those years because that was that, that goes back to earlier in this season at the the costume party. For Halloween, that they've discovered that the the drivers are now going to have a chance to sell paper products on their routes, delivering, and that was his idea that Michael squashed. So there's that part of it too. There's also Dwight trying to get in an interview, <laughs> including as the burn victim. Yes, and how Joe just sees right through it, and yeah. Jim basically plays off like he didn't realize that that was Dwight the whole time, even though of course he does. B.J. Novak said that this episode was 10 pages too long in the script to be within the time constraints NBC had given them, so they had to cut a lot of things, including specifically lines read by Creed and Kathy Bates. Wow. So we may, who knows what we lost on the cutting room floor from Creed Bratton and, uh, and Kathy Bates. So that's going to do it for season seven. It was bad to say goodbye to Steve Carell as well as, 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 well as it was handled because we know because we've seen it, there's two more seasons of this show to go that just, it's just not the same. No. Jason, I want to ask you and David, um, before we talk about anything going forward, now that Michael Scott is out of the picture and one of the most endearing and most important characters in this series, when you say the name Michael Scott, what are some things that you think of that stand out to you? idiosyncrasies, lines he had, ways about him, whatever. I've got a couple, and I want to see what you guys say. Well, I mean, that's what she said is obviously. Sure. The world's best boss mug. Yes. Mm -hmm. Which he ends up throwing away when he actually gets that Dundee Award for it, which another one of those moments where he's earned the respect mm -hmm. of the people underneath mm -hmm. him because he's become like them, and they've seen him – as a human being as opposed to just an automaton wearing a suit. And he finally gets what the, he always wanted, acceptance. Absolutely. There's just a, that childlike wonder with that character that there's there's a longing for me as an adult to, that I still wish I had a little bit of Michael Scott and that kid in me that I know I don't have. So I think that's one reason I was... I love the character. We're living Michael vicariously. I mean, yeah, and, yeah. And by the time that the thing was over, I was like, man... 
I wish I had a boss like Michael Scott. I, think I about wish J- I could work for Michael Scott. <laughs> I think about Jan and how bad that was oh. juxtaposed with how great Holly mm-hmm. was and how you saw the worst in Michael Scott trying to fit into something he should have been fitting into and then what it looks like when it's actually right. Okay. Yeah, and the lesson from the, you learn from that is don't force things. A couple right. of little things that stand out to me about Michael Scott, and they're just oddball stuff, but first of all, his his uh, mentioning, and I don't know how many episodes it pops up in over the, his time on the series, but how he has soft teeth. We never learn how he has soft teeth. <laughs> always, always curious about that. As a man who suffers from soft teeth, I think it's just age. <laughs> And then how he destroys cliches. Burning the Midnight Tequila <laughs> it's so is one of my favorites. It's so great because I know uh, those people too. But I just those are little things like that. I, I just I, that I think about his character. And just <laughs> Can we chuckle. talk about Oscar Scarecrow real quick? Okay, about how he gives Oscar the Scarecrow. Because Oscar's kind of like the, the smartest guy in the office and the guy that that Michael can rely upon. And then Michael dying laughing. Talk about how Oscar reacted to the scarecrow. And Michael's just like talking about how it took him like two minutes to make it. And like Carell's dying laughing. Like, there's some like classic laughs. That's one of the best. Did it or something oh. like that. <laughs> <laughs> that. That to me, that that's a great character and a great actor because there are times a good Michael Scott laugh, I don't care what it's about, is going to trigger a laugh in me yes. that is just as hearty and just as genuine. And I think a lot of that, too, come, some of those laughs, I think, come from those guys being on set and cracking themselves the up. Two best, the like two best I'm, laughs on the show are Stanley and Michael. I think I think some of those were outtakes. Oh, Stanley's <laughs> Stanley's laugh. It's is, not frequent, but, man, when yes. it's there, it stands oh, out. He's just yeah. laughing so good. about Scott's tots. <laughs> or or laughing about uh, when Michael roasts him about his him being fat and crushing yeah. his wife, <laughs> yeah. she just loses it. Yeah, there there are some there's some definitely some some good stuff. I'm trying to think if there's anything else about the Michael Scott character. I mean, just the various like sayings, like he's Sun Tzu, but he's an idiot. Yeah, like just <laughs> any number. You talking about cliches, like he quotes himself quoting someone else, it, like right. That. <laughs> Oh, and the other one, too, is how he constantly introduces himself in any function or speaking. I'm Michael Scott. Dunder Mifflin, Michael Scott, and he'll say it, you know, some episodes multiple times. One of the things I always notice when they're in the office is that stupid certificate that's behind him on the wall that says Michael Scott is the proud owner of a Seiko timepiece. <laughs> I forgot about that, I too. don't know why. It, every time I see the office, I go back and I look at it. I'm like, what is that? But he, he, he remember he tried to give his watch to get food at that food truck on the episode when he gets lost yeah, in yeah, season yeah. seven. Like, the watch comes up a couple of times. It's worth 40 bucks. The idea that Michael Scott took the probably the certificate that came with that watch, put his name on it, and framed that in his office like it was something to be just that like to me is unbelievably toned. No from idea the finest what's happening. University, yeah, yeah, absolutely incredible. <laughs> it wasn't a Rolex, but it also wasn't a Timex. Yeah, just just awesome. So season seven, at least we got good fan service for Michael Scott on the way out the door. Yes. Mm-hmm. There were too many episodes in the season because they're just. Look, you have to fill 24 to 28, depending upon double episodes and things like that. But I think they got his exit right. I kind of feel like that should have been the series' exit. I think we all do. But next week, we're going to talk about the final two years. And we'll talk about Robert California more than we're going to talk about Nellie Bertram, because I just don't know how much I can tolerate it. And we're going to spend time on the finale, and then we're going to draft. We're going to do our office cast draft, and I will dominate the two of you. 
Oh, he's calling the shot already. Okay. I think that's the way. I think that's how many the way rounds in this snake draft. We'll we will determine. Like okay. it was fifteen when it was Brad and I doing friends characters. Three means you're. I think you maybe ten rounds. Maybe we go ten. We'll see if we can get right. ten. Yeah. Because we can add. You can obviously have secondary characters. You know how the top of it's probably going to go. So how how are we declaring the winner in this? Are we putting it on Twitter? Is it the, the well, we'll, we'll put it on Twitter, but we'll also determine. We'll look at it, and you guys will say, "Yeah, yours is better." And it will. <laughs> the only thing I'm really curious about is who becomes Mister or Mrs. Irrelevant in this uh, last pick. D'Angelo Vickers. No, he won't be drafted. I have, I have, I I have a character that I will probably end up drafting that low key provided some great moments for me that probably will not be on either of yours yeah, board. Feel free okay. to take Todd Packer. No, it's not. <laughs> not feel going free. with the pack. Why don't you man. call him Gabe Wad? I've been i I've been a I've been around I've been around <laughs> for too many drafts that involve Pac Man to know how that's gonna turn out. Wow, that's wow. well done. Thanks to Jeff Schwartz for chiming in the first half of this podcast today. He's at Jeff Schwartz. Rhett's at Rhett B Tennessee. David's at David Reed Radio. You don't care about me. I'm at J Mart Zone. We are all at 104.5 The Zone. What did we miss? Do you well, Like I said, I like Robert California. If you like Nellie Bertrand, please feel free to tweet me that and then unfollow me immediately afterwards. <laughs> totally kidding. This has been uh, The Office Pop no, 6. We'll not. see you next week for the finale. Yep, you're right. Not kidding. See you. Got almost everybody. So Holly's my family now. She's my family. And the babies that I make with her will be my children. The people that you work with are just, when you get down to it, your very best friends. They say on your deathbed, you never wish you spent more time at the office, but I will. Gotta be a lot better than a deathbed. I actually don't understand deathbeds. I mean, who would buy that? Well, guess this is it. Hey, will you guys let me know if this ever airs? Thank you. All right. Oh, this is going to feel so good getting this thing off my chest. No, he wasn't sad. He was full of hope about Colorado, and he was hoping to get an upgrade as an awards member. And he said he was just real excited to get home and see Holly. <laughs>